0: Afternoon, folks. Welcome back. As always, if you want to keep I little booklets handy, there as we begin session two. And as I said this morning, we, this morning we were trying to think about right thinking within the church, uh, but now we want to think about right practice and right thoughts outside of the church. As so we just try to think a little bit more practically and try to put some of that good theology uh, into action, so it doesn't stay in the air but hits the ground, hits the ground running. Uh, this morning we were thinking about how we preach Christ and then um, God, that is absolutely terrible, I, I, I am so discouraged, we preach Christ, yeah, so we want to keep that front and centre, that's God's work in evangelism and we know our job, and uh, we've got to preach Christ, but we don't distort the message, we don't want to twist it, I'm already an insecure evangelist So if I get judged on numbers, if I get judged on my performance, well, I'm going to figure out that people don't really want to hear about repentance or hell or sexuality, so I'll change the message and I'll have a church that is full of people who are professing, but none of them are converted. You know, as we remember from verse 2, we preached Christ um, plainly, we said the truth out clearly. Uh, We were talking about how God is sovereign, why we know this because it's ordered history in people's lives. And we know it because we remember that he did it for me. We were thinking about how our grace and our identity is in Christ. So when I do come to those pain line conversations, when I have the opportunity just to perhaps say one more thing, well, then I know my confidence is in him. And if my friend rejects me, well, then I can just keep on going, being their friend and loving them because I belong to God. And importantly, I think we were also acknowledging the fear we were acknowledging that there are difficulties in living out like Christian lives. So, that's what uh, we were doing this morning. We're going to try to think about four things now as I talk for a little bit, and then perhaps we'll have a Q&A if you're good. Um, but what I want to talk about is, what do I say, being yourself, getting started, and two things to do. A bit like you might say, that, uh, you know, a fresh graduate on a graduate scheme, so they can learn skills and for the job that the company wants them uh, to do. Um, of course, as Christians, we it's very important that we need to know what to say. But I know that the Bible is taught each Sunday at Shanty Church. Uh, I know most of you are hopefully clear on, on the gospel. Many of us, I think, we've been well-discipled uh, since we've become Christians. But many of us, we just struggle, don't we, to get to that opportunity to actually be able to say something that just never seems to perhaps naturally uh, uh, crop up or, or arise. And there's three things that I think are very, can be very helpful in helping us to just get to that place where we might have the opportunity to say something. And the first comes, was it, what did I say? Genesis 1, verse 26, I believe, uh, or 127, excuse me. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Now, isn't that lovely? This is absolutely crucial, um, because it's saying that what is the pinnacle of God's creation? It's saying it's men and women. Now, I know you all think like this. It's rush hour on a Friday. You're at the middle platform in Admiralty, trying to get home. It's 40 degrees outside, and I've got some poor granny who's just got her face in my armpit. She, at that moment, is not thinking that I am the pinnacle of all creation on this. this and I, what I need to do is open my Bible and show her Genesis 1, verse 27. Um, but what it helpfully means for us, it says that humans are like God. And so it means that humans are worth celebrating. It means you can't look at someone and view them as a project, but you look at them as someone who is made in the image of God. And so that means you should be able to take an interest in people, celebrate people, become friends with people, pepper them with questions. I find that people have no problem talking about themselves. So just ask people lots of questions, and they will think you are wonderful. Uh, And as you listen to them, uh, they will think that you are their friends. So um, uh, Rico, in his book on evangelism, my favorite book on evangelism, he talks about his father, who was famously a non-Christian until he died, just before he died. Excuse me. And uh, he was a tobacconist, uh, so he made, he made cigarettes. And famously, uh, evangelical Christians have done very poorly uh, with uh, engaging with the tobacco industry. Um, but this evangelist from Australia, John Chapman, they went out and played golf with Rico's dad. And Rico said his dad just thought he was fantastic. He just peppered him with questions about the tobacco industry and, and everything that went on in it. And so his dad just thought this guy, John, was a lovely guy. So when John wrote his book, Rico was able to buy it and give it to his dad, and his dad was delighted because John had shown an interest in Rico's father's life. I used to live in a a flat that shared an entryway, so with with my neighbour and I we used the same security door, and he had this beautiful bonsai tree outside the flat. So what I did was I went and bought a bonsai tree. And then I had something to talk to him about. And he just thought I was great because I would ask him about what fertilizer he was using and, and what trimming techniques. And my bonsai tree died, and his flourished. Um, but, but it was the start of a sort of friendship. So you, you want to be celebrating people. We, we, I don't think we're ever made to withdraw from the world. We're supposed to be in it uh, and celebrating people and, and just showing people that it's red blood in here and that we're all human and we're all decent people. So celebrate people. Secondly, I think the second best thing we can do is is living out good lives. Uh, Did I put this first story? 1 Peter 2.11. It says, live, oh, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So, so what I want to do is I, this, is my, this point could be called the don't be a jerk point. Um, I've heard it described very helpfully. If Christianity can be like a chord on a piano, and the central note in that chord is the gospel. And that's the centre, that's what we're about. But on either side of that, if we're not living good lives, uh, if we're not serving if we're not loving one another the note just signs off and the message doesn't sound true it doesn't doesn't sound uh, real and so what i need to be doing is i need to be showing my friends in my greater community that i care about them and that i'm a decent person that i treat them with respect that i can do spontaneous acts of kindness to disarm them yeah. because i don't know about you my non christian friends seem to know an awful lot about the bible when i make mistakes or when they see the inconsistencies in my life and when we are not living godly lives it discredits the message i mean i can only it pains me the horrors that were committed by the catholic church in ireland that has just discredited that organization for probably 100 years it's going to take uh, to recover uh, from from that absolute disaster So we we want to be living out good lives um, because people want to reject our message. They want to have an excuse where they don't have to engage with us or think about it. And the easiest way for them to do that is for us um, to not live lives that that are are proper. And this is Peter writing uh, in a book where nine times it says that Christians are suffering. And he says, even though we're suffering, let's live good lives. So that even though they slander us, they know it's not really—they know it's not really true. Um, so that's what I want to do. I want to live out a good life, so it's attractive, so it's beautiful to people. One of the uh, great examples I saw of this actually when I uh, when I was at seminary, I won a grant and I went to Singapore and I worked at St Andrew's Cathedral in Singapore for a summer. And they did this, this really beautiful ministry where they went to the, um, the the domestic workers' dormitories on a Saturday night every Saturday do medical mission for dental and medical checkups for these construction workers. And once a month, they took 500 people to Batam on the ferry, and they ran um, field hospitals all over the island. And it was such a a beautiful and inspiring project that there was a waiting list of 1,000 non-Christians who wanted to join, because they could only look at this and see that it was a a good and beautiful and, and noble thing. And that always stuck with me. And then it was on on the ferry, actually, two back then. I remember being able to have a a Christian conversation with a young Singaporean guy who had signed up up to to go on one of these trips. And so I think what happens is the more you celebrate people, the more you live out a good life, uh, the more that your life is attracted to others, people will start to ask you questions. And that's the moment where you have that pain line decision the more that I'm celebrating my friends and helping them and loving them, so it means the next time when I go on a hike or I'm helping them move ice or I don't know I, I don't know what we're doing. It's optimal no good probably. And they say to me, Well, you know, I'm just feeling really down this week I'm going through a really painful breakthrough, break up with my girlfriend or another friend last week said he's had surgery on his hand and it doesn't look like his hand's gonna get better. It's then because I've earned the respect and trust, then I have the opportunity to say, Well, you know, what if your hand doesn't get better? How are you going to feel about that? Or, I'm um, sorry about the breakup. You know, there's a book that is just so precious to me, and it's really helped me when I went through a painful breakup as a young man. Would you like to have a look at it with me? And then they have a decision to make. They can say yes, or they can say no, thank you. The good news for me is I just kept decided I'm going to keep on being on being their friends. So I want to be celebrating, I want to be doing, and then I found if I do those two things I get more opportunities to start telling uh, uh, and sharing. And, and for me, you know, I, it's very different being up front in ministry, but just on day-to-day life, if, if I'm able to lead conversations with my brokenness and my weakness and people see that you're real and your faith helps you, Um, you can have opportunities to start talking and start telling in a more organic way. Not, um, now I will tell the gospel to you. Um, you But you have opportunities, I think, when people say, what did you do this weekend? And and you say, well, I was at a a church retreat. And they say, oh, that's a bit strange. Why are you doing that? And they say, oh, it's just a great time to have a community. And and we were thinking about how to share our faith because Jesus is wonderful. Or you say, look, I'm just going through this really big problem with my partner, um, and my faith has just been really helpful as me and my spouse have worked through these, these issues. So, so it begins very practically. But I find the more practical I am, it leads me to those opportunities that, that, that I do, do have. So I'm sure, like you, been, like most of my friends are lovely. And most of my non-Christian friends are probably both nicer most of the members of St Andrew School tell them that if you ever, <laughs> ever go there. You know, um, but you know most people I, I, I think very few of us are going to actually ever have a gun to our held about the gospel. That you know if you do well done you're probably doing something really right uh, for the Lord. But most of us it's just going to be those opportunities with friends and families um, and, and colleagues. Um, I found actually this year the best evangelist tool in the entire world is having a Bailey and strapped to your chest. People just want to come and talk to you. I mean that, that's my strategy. I send the women and children in first and, and they do the hard work. I'm on the NTR with Cameron, and women just want to come up and talk to us and pat his head. Um, so so it's things like that. I'm sorry, I, I digress. But there was a great there was a great study done by um, evangelicals today in the UK in 2017. And if they did this. they did a survey, and the survey came back of two thousand people. Seventy percent said they had a Christian friend or relative that they were actually impressed with, how they lived out their life. And twenty percent of that seventy said they would be interested in finding out more why they lived their lives that way. And I thought, well, if you do the maths for England, that's like fourteen million people who would not be against learning more about Jesus Christ. So so living lives, that brings us to those opportunities. And then you have a very difficult decision to make. Am I going to be brave and put my head up and say this thing? Or am I going to bottle it and, and walk away and, and regress? So anyway, I just thought that was an amazing amazing survey. So those are things that helped me get there. But when I get there, what do I say? If you're anything like me, I, I fudge most conversations that I have with people throughout the week. And then when I get into bed that night, six hours later, I think, why didn't I say that thing then? You know, it comes to me hours later. And and so I think a little bit of homework and a little bit of preparation can go a long way in our evangelism. Not saying we have to have everything scripted out. We've got to be organic and love people. But it is helpful just to be clear on what the gospel is. And a really helpful way uh, that I like to remember the gospel when I'm people that's St Andrews, we can do it a few ways but one of my favourite ways is to remember around three words identity, mission and call I-M-C so the identity, what do I want to tell people but well, it's about Jesus and he's God's king that, that's a pretty good starting point it's about mission, that this Jesus he died and rose again for sinners as an answer for guilt identity, mission and call and he calls us to follow him it's really, really hard, but boy, it's worth it. I am seeing it. And, and you know, that could be a pretty good start if that's all you communicated to your friends. I want to cover all three points. Like, a, as a witness tells the truth in, in court, an honest evangelist has to communicate the points about Jesus Christ. But I find the more I do the living, the more I do the listening, the more I do the celebrating of friendship, I'm brought to those opportunities one-on-one where I can let me say one of those things about Jesus. And it's very important, I think, that we are listening to people. It's very unlikely that one of your friends is going to come and ask you tonight, can you tell me about the divine identity of Christ, the second person of the Trinity? They won't say that. But someone might ask you, who do you pray to? And then you've got to think, okay, well, that's actually an identity question. They want to know about the person, the person of the God that I'm in relationship with. Or someone might ask you, um, how did you become a Christian? And I think, well, that's a mission question. And that's an opportunity where I have to describe what I believe Jesus Christ would have done for me on my behalf on the cross and pay for my sins. So I'm listening really hard to the questions my friends are asking me. Identity, mission, call. And I, I really encourage you, perhaps tonight, even just go home and and think, could you write out in between two hundred and fifty and three hundred words, uh, an answer to how you would present the gospel? Um, they say um, speech therapists and people who teach you to preach say so you should speak about a hundred words a minute. It's very hard if you're from Ireland. Let me tell you. Um, but but you know, if you write it out, you know if it's between two and three hundred words, that's probably a two to three minute presentation. Um, and can you get all the key bits in there? So. I'm celebrating, I'm listening, I'm I'm, I'm coming to telling. And when I want to tell, I know that I want to be well-prepared what I might want to communicate about our identity mission and call. But not just that, not just knowing what to say. I think most importantly, and perhaps most importantly for this session, I want to encourage you to be yourself. Uh, Most of us, I think, including myself, when we read books on evangelism, or we see very charming and charismatic speakers, we think, I could never do that. I mean, I don't know from your culture who is the most famous or celebrity evangelist. I like you know, you know, people idolized uh, Billy Graham or Helen Roosevelt, or she was, in my time, this famous missionary, female missionary, who I was so disarming and powerful that I think she could have chatted to the president of China or the USA and just disarmed them and got to, got to the gospel. And you, you see these people, or, or your friend, who's just great at talking to people on the bus, and you think, gee, I could, I could never do that with such clarity and, and confidence and wit and charm. Hold on to your seats folks. okay? This is it. You don't need to be Graham. It, it's a really wonderful and liberating truth. I want you to think for a moment of the person who was most influential to you in your Christian conversion or development, and I bet it was someone who wasn't on stage a lot I bet it was someone who was actually more qualified because of their integrity their sincerity their persistence their enthusiasm their courage, their care, and their prayers for you I would be astonished if if it was someone else with the help of God's spirit this person was used to bring you into knowledge of God and it was just someone who took an interest in you in in your life um and so i think one of the really foolish ideas we get is that the devil whispers and plays a trick that it's someone else's job but it's not we're all in it together and because you know your pastors here in this church and me i don't know the person who sits next to you in your cubicle at work i don't know the next door neighbor on your floor I don't know the problems that you're encountering when you go to a mums and dads group at, at your school and you hear that someone's going through a hard time. Those are the opportunities that God has put you in so that you might have an opportunity uh, to speak to them. So that's um, that's really what I want to just say about say about that. Being ourself, because Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip the people for works of service. That's what we're trying to do here today. Equip you guys for works of service out there. But it's terribly liberating to know that God did not, he gave us unity, but not uniformity. In Psalm 139, those lovely words, you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that. Well, uh, God made me, He knows me, He's given me my quirks, but it doesn't leave me without an excuse. And God's going to be able to use your individuality and your interests uh, to effect change for His kingdom. I mean, think about the famous evangelists in the Bible. Peter, what was he like? Ready, fire, aim. He was confrontational, he ran around all day throwing Bible grenades. He was the guy who couldn't speak in the gospel and then in Acts chapter 3 he stands up and says this Jesus Christ the Messiah who you killed he confronted them all and you know we need people like that sometimes people will only become Christians if they're if they're confronted with the hard truth for those of us though who are perhaps have tendencies to a more confrontational style and um, perhaps also just you be aware of that and have some self reflection but what about Paul? Well, he was a great intellectual, wasn't he? He reasoned, he debated, he defended, he discussed it in public, he sat down and ruled it out. Um, and we need, we need smart and brilliant people to engage in public spheres and engage with the community. And we're very thankful for Christian apologists. But I think my favourite evangelist in the Bible was a bloke of John chapter 9. If he, they came to Jesus, a man had just got his sight back and you know what he said? They asked him, they said, Is this man a sinner? And he said, I don't know if he's a sinner. What I do know is that I was blind and now I see. And they came to him with a pain question. They asked him about the identity of Jesus and he said, Look, I don't really know. Um, I'll get back to you on that. But let me tell you something. There's been a huge change in my life and, and this guy, he did it. And I just think that's wonderful. I, I think you. Know, we can all do something like that, and that's why I think my second bit of homework for you is: I think it's really helpful to be clear and, and have a thought on what you might want to say about your testimony, about your conversion. Um, and I think it is good to prepare for it because it can go a bit bonk, in my experience. People tend to either lead with their sin or lead with themselves. You know, they can say, "Well, I, you know, I, I, I became a Christian when I was nine, and I wrote my first Grammy Award-winning Christian album when I was 14, and the son of this legendary worship leader, etc., etc. And it's kind of all about them. Or you can end up with a testimony that maybe just focuses on your shame. You know, uh, you know, I uh, started taking drugs when I was four, and, and I killed a man when I was seven, and I was in jail, and and, you know, and then you say, and then I met the Lord in prison, and I became a Christian in the end. I think you know that's maybe focusing too much um, on, on sin and shame. Um, what I think could be really helpful is perhaps again a 100 words each how would you answer these three questions what was I like what did Christ do for me and what difference does he make today so acknowledging the transformation acknowledging the gospel and how Christ has made a difference and then showing people how he's so relevant and important to you today now, does that make sense But but for some of us perhaps who grew up as Christians from childhood, that's a great privilege. The way you might want to frame it is slightly different if you don't have um, that black and white uh, conversion in recent memory. You might want to talk about why your faith is significant for how you view your present and future. How are you growing today? How are you moving forward? And what does the cross and resurrection mean? Talking about those things to to show that it's about Jesus. And how he's helping me, me, me move forward in, in my faith. And there's a there's a wonderful there's a wonderful person in the Bible who did this. The, one of my favourite evangelists after John nine, the woman at the well in John four. Remember her? What did she do? She went into town and she said to everyone there. She says, "Come and meet the man, who told me everything about me that I never knew." Jesus knew that she had five husbands. They had an encounter. She went she brought her friends. She said, come, come and see the man who told me everything about me. Uh, she was the great inviter. And, and we're not all called. I think a lot of us uh, maybe are tempted to just stuck out. But some of us, perhaps we're, perhaps we're more introverted. Perhaps we uh, do find it difficult to communicate. We can still invite people. Uh, we can still invite people to, to events and courses. And perhaps, um, perhaps you've got a special Christmas service coming up. And you could just be thinking already now, who, who are one or two people that I could be praying for today to invite to come to our Christmas services with the hope that they might drop onto your course in January. So I want to be a great inviter, but as hopefully you see, very different personalities in the Bible. We're, we're not called uh, to uniformity. Um, There's a quote by John Stott. It's at the back. It's at the back, and I'd just like to read it out to you. But I don't want to go over time. What time should we finish? No, it's okay. Fifteen minutes. Yeah. I can't The invisibility of God is a great problem. It was already a problem to God's people in Old Testament days. Their pagan neighbors would prompt them, saying, where not is your God? The gods were visible and tangible, but Israel's God was neither. Today in our scientific culture, young people are taught not to believe in anything which is not open to empirical investigation. How then has God solved the problem of his own invisibility? The first answer is, of course, in Christ. Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. No one has ever seen God, but God the only Son is made him known. That's wonderful, people say, but it was 2000 years ago. Is there no way by which the invisible God makes himself visible today? There is. No one has ever seen God. It is precisely the same introductory statement. But instead of continuing with reference to the Son of God, John continues, If we love one another, God dwells in us. In other words, the invisible God who once made himself visible in Christ now makes himself visible in Christians. If we love one another, it is a breathtaking plague. The local church cannot evangelize proclaiming the gospel of love if it is not itself a community of love. I just think that's a fantastic little quote. As we love each other, as we take care of each other, the gospel goes out. On our own, you're like a little candle or a little laser just on your own, but if we join all the candles or we join all the the lasers together, it becomes very bright indeed. I was encouraged walking into breakthrough today. Uh, The the, the, the verse on the front door, it says a city on a hill Uh, cannot be hidden. And that's what we're doing. As we love each other, our light becomes very, very, very bright. And some of us are teachers, but we all have gifts to serve and to love in the city. So uh, that's what we do. We, 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 we preach Christ and be ourselves. But how do we get started? Well, we know what to say. We're looking for the pain line. My challenge to you this, this, this afternoon is, is, I think, crucial for the future of the church, can you open the Bible with one other human being? We're not all called to be upfront Bible teachers, but we are all called to be Bible sharers. Um, in 1954, Billy Green came to the United Kingdom. 44,000 people were converted at an evangelistic meeting in Harangay. It was amazing. What was not reported was that 90% of that 44,000 were already members of churches in England. Because the, the culture was not hostile to the gospel. They were going to these churches. They just weren't converted yet. And yet now, um, 50 years later, people look at us and they think, Christians are weird, and you're irrelevant. It's untrue. Uh, look at Richard Dawkins. He's saying good stuff. You suppress women, or you're homophobic. There's so many barriers in the way to even getting people over the front door of a church and now I think, I mean if that was 20 years ago, now in 2021, people are just on a totally different road and we could not be more irrelevant I think to most people's minds uh, or memory Um, and even when people go through hard times they don't even think about uh, turning or or coming up to church or speaking to a pastor so what's the answer? What do we do? Well I hope like at, at your church and our church we keep teaching the Bible each Sunday. We run Christianity Explored three times a year. We have soft events that we can invite people to, where someone will give a talk, you know, a, a barbecue or a wine tasting or a jasmine, whatever it is. But, I, but we know it is harder and harder to get people to come and for those events to bear fruit. What we need to do, I am convinced, like never before, is what we need to do, like no other time, is one-to-one Bible reading and Bible sharing. I believe that we have to no longer try to get people to come to the Bible. We've got to take the Bible out to them. I would like you to think just for a moment to score out of 10 the first church you ever went to. Out of 10, how would you score the priority for the Bible being taught from firstly from the front? Out of 10, how important was that? In a small group how important was teaching in small group? Out of ten, how important was it that you read the Bible at home, your personal devotions? And fourthly, how important was one-to-one reading the Bible with another, with another person? How would you, how would you score those? Would you put your hand up if, if it was, if the highest score was from the front, up front teaching? None be gentle, one be you and not in real This has been your church. Okay, what about put your hand up if it was from small groups? Yeah, so, so, yeah, that's about, yeah, that's what I'd expect. What about reading the Bible at home personally? Yeah, I'd say that was for me in Northern Ireland. And what about one to one? Yeah, one to two. You see, it's always the same everywhere. Every time I, I ask this, um, um, to read the Bible with, with someone else. UCCF, uh, the Christian Fellowship in the United Kingdom, they released an amazing study. They changed their whole strategy and trained the students in Britain to read the Bible one-on-one with with their classmates. They had more conversions that year than in the previous 16 years put together. I mean, that is just bonkers um, that that they all of the time and energy into events uh, and missions uh, and getting uh, world-class speakers, they trained the students to read the Bible with other people in a natural, friendly, organic way, and people were being converted. Or when the students were going home to their parents and reading the Bible with their parents, and their parents were becoming Christians. Um, it is absolutely amazing. And when I think back on my own testimony, it's how I became a Christian. Uh, I was bumbling along in life in Northern Ireland aged age 18. And I met some American missionaries. I thought Christianity was irrelevant. I thought, I thought it was emasculated. Uh, I thought um, if I became a Christian, those were just for guys who wanted to date the attractive Christian girls um, in, in the rural church. Um, but I met some American Christians. They took an interest in me. They were missionaries. They invited me to go up to the Giant's Causeway, a nice part of Northern Ireland. Uh, they, I was sharing that I was, I was deeply troubled by the inconsistencies in my own life. And I was terribly worried about dying, even though I was only 18 and very healthy. And they said, what are you worried about? And I said, I'm not worried about death. They opened up the Bible. They said, would you like to look at it with me? And they took me to John chapter 14. It says, Do not be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house there are many rooms. And you know what then? They said, What does this say about people? And I said, Well, people tend to worry about dying. And he said, What does it say about Christ? says he's big enough to bring you through death and it was that day i I decided to to become a christian and they explained what the gospel was to me my eyes saw over the fence and and into uh, eternity and i'm so thankful they opened the bible with me that day or one other story that is convincing that this is true a good friend of mine i'm in a uh, it's very hard as a minister to, to meet normal people you tend to hang out with christians all the time so I joined the Curry Club to meet non Christian blokes. Um, I mean, it's, uh, they're absolute rock they, they don't take any prisoners. Uh, and I, I have to be really tough. Um, uh, but, you know, trying to just live out my life in this very licentious group. Um, uh, and then one of the guys, they had a problem, sadly. Him and his wife, they lost a the baby. Uh, and, and, and it was from there the phone rang. And I knew when he called me something wasn't right. I knew I heard the, the throat going. I knew he lived five minutes walk away, so I said, sort of right, Adam, uh, let me think what I should do here. I, uh, and then God gave me an idea, picked up my Bible, I went and bought two tins of beer, I walked over to his house, I sat on the podium in his estate, I listened to him, uh, pour his heart out with this grief, and I said, look, mate, um, I don't know what you think about this, but there's a song in the Bible called Sam 30, and it says that God is near the brokenhearted, and he, he saves... He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Would you like to have a look at it with me? We read Psalm 30. Uh, we prayed. and My hands were sweaty. I was shaking. Uh, he didn't say anything after that. And then he popped up at church on Sunday. And he's been coming ever since. And, and I wish it was always like that. It's not. Um, but I, I'm speaking to him later. He said, uh, when you read the Bible, that I knew that God was real. And I knew he was my savior. And I thought, well, isn't that lovely? that God's spirit loves to use God's word to point people to the gospel and kind of show them that it is true. But it took 14 years of friendship with him just to get to that point. So don't be discouraged. You, you know, when, when If you feel you've fudged, it, we can all do our bit slowly by slowly. Uh, and some, some of us, maybe it might be once or twice a year, would you like to have a look at the Bible with me? It's been so helpful when I face similar, a similar problem. So there are benefits to it. I mean, I find it really stressful, um, but I do, I'm convinced. And if I don't make this a priority, if we become churches that forget to do evangelism, well, I think we just go cold. And as culture goes cold towards our message, if the church goes cold as well, well, then it's just a disaster. Uh, it, it, It just won't work. And the great temptation, I think, for every church is we just get busy busy doing trellis work, get busy doing the nuts and bolts of of ministry, of organising and rotas and buildings and and all this stuff and budgets, and we forget why we're here is to serve and love the city, both in words and and in deed. So so that's what I want to do, that's how I want to get started, I want to think about a culture change, and perhaps you, they don't have to be a non-Christian, perhaps they could be a new Christian, who could you just start reading the Bible with? What, once a fortnight, once a month. You and if you don't know how to read the Bible, don't panic. Most of us don't know how to do it either. There's only two questions you need to know with every Bible study. This is groundbreaking. Okay? What does it say about God? And what does it say about people? And if you can answer those two questions, you're 90% of the way to the sermon. And let, let me tell you. So one of the two things I've got to do? Goodness, I'm all over the place this afternoon. no. I haven't printed it, but it's in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus looked at the city. Ah, yes, there it is. Wonderful. Yes. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. As the Lord of the harvest therefore to send our workers into his harvest field we've gone over time for two minutes two things to do have compassion Jesus looked at, at the people and he knew they were so lost and it, you don't have to look very hard to see people in this city chasing after the wrong things trying to drink from the wrong well trying to be satisfied with the wrong food Jesus looked at them and it broke their heart he didn't condemn them he knew they were, they were lost and they needed help. And what's the second thing in this passage that he did after having compassion? To pray. To ask God to send out more workers because it's very obvious there's not enough of us. We pray that we could be raised up and trained as evangelists, that so we could go out. And even if you could just affect change in one person's life, it would, be, it would be of such eternal benefit that when you get to heaven, that, that will just be an honor to you for eternity if you have assisted someone coming to know the Lord. There are two things we do. We have compassion, and we pray, and we go out, and we we proclaim. So I think that's all I want to say. we are going to be in your groups in a bit. Do think about how you might write uh, a gospel presentation in two minutes, and how you also might share your testimony. Uh, But I've been asked um, to do a question and answer night, which is no pressure at all. Five bucks a question folks. <laughs> Was there anything not clear today, or is there anybody question, especially related to evangelism, or something would like like to ask? That's easy. That's, and yes, go ahead. I think it's different for everyone, I and mean, that's going to depend on the quality of friendship. It's also going to depend on the urgency of the situation. I go to, like you call, prison once a month. I'm in there for one hour. I'm not going to waste time. I mean, I'm not going to, I might not see these guys again. I said, Would you like to read the Bible you with know, me? Or, I went to, uh, I, I, sadly, uh, age 45, died last week, a good friend of mine. Wasn't a Christian, went to see him, an Adventist. I said, This doesn't look good, my friend. Uh, there was an urgency to it. And, and sadly, I think too often we wait until, like, it's really urgent and, and perhaps someone then too us to to hear or, or to listen, but but I always have to remember that God's sovereign. Um, I go hiking. My, my, one of my best friends is a Christian. We go hiking every Monday night, I'll, or I won't tell you, in case you don't come and follow us. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't do that. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just annoying at every week. I'm just just trying to say, I, uh, you know what I actually do. People, this, I mean, this is not a humble guy. You know, people say, well, Pastor, you know so much about the Bible. I'm like, uh-uh. And I'd say nine out of ten times what I share, what Bible verses I share with people, are using what I read in my devotions that morning. That's, that's about all I can remember, okay? So, so that's what I tell people about whatever I read that morning. And that sort of, you know, yes, yeah, so, so I just... You know, I do have to believe the spirit's at work as well and he's ordaining these moments and I'm praying and then I just gotta be brave but if they tell me to go away, I, I I know when to stop talking. I think that's another important thing to remember, to know when to shut up. <laughs> to not press the issue too hard. I I, I pray there will be another opportunity. I so, saw another hand go up as well. Yes, please you try out, please? exclusive for those things. I don't want to say, well, we're doing this at the expense of this. I just think we need a more holistic picture. And something that has perhaps been neglected is is reading the Bible together. Um, I mean, I love to think, and this isn't the very Anglican thought, but it says they eat together and they grow bread. I believe the disciples were getting together. We call it communion now. They were talking about the stuff that Jesus did and remembering him. So I'm not saying we're never going to stop preaching up front. I mean, that's what churches do. And we're going to do events. But I don't know about you. Events are just so exhausting. And they cost so much money. And everyone gets so tired. And, and I mean, there's, I don't know how many staff you have in your church. But, you know, there's only a few of you. But imagine if the, I mean, well, there's 250 people in your church. Imagine if you were all reading the Bible with one other person. Wow, your church could, you know, could grow. But we just don't seem to do it. And I think it's because we, we value our credibility too much and um, it's too embarrassing for us, perhaps. So. Anything else? Last chance. Yes, I'm. And- I, I, I agree and I, I think it's a huge problem. I'm convinced that no one reads anymore. Um, I think you did very well if you could memorise key portions of, of, of scripture and then it just seems to, to be there, so thank you. All right. Well thank you very much folks, you've been really wonderful sports and I've really enjoyed very lovely community and I think I do see you loving each other so, so be encouraged by that. I hope you can do some more evangelism the coming year. Thank you. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a great evangelist and you have the heart for a broken world. You, you wept for Jerusalem and thank you for the privilege of using our church to, 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 to bring your kingdom. Please use us as a church in Shatin. Bind us together in love, Father, that uh, that this church would be a city on a hill uh, in Shatin and, and beyond. Uh, that people, men and women, who are so lost in this city See the, the life-giving and soul-saving message of Jesus Christ and respond. Please bless them Lord, as they go forward with their tasks, duty and events as they work up to Christmas. But I pray Father that we can all think critically about how we may try to read the Bible with someone else by your providence and by your being. In Jesus' name.